Our bodies are the instruments of either sin or holiness. Through them we express what is in our heart. By them the core of our thinking, feeling, desiring, and willing comes to expression. The holiness of the Christian comes from another world order for which non-Christians have no taste. Sanctification, then, is God setting us apart for himself. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Just, I was thinking of something as Chip was talking there for a second and wanted to just uh, just say thank you to all of our public school teachers in here. We have numerous public school teachers because if there, yeah, thank you. If there's ever a mission field, it is the public schools. And uh, Sean Johnson, who's one of our, our principals in our public school, he leads a Bible study for men on campus before school starts one day a week. And how many guys did you have in that Bible study last week, Sean? Where's he, where'd he go? About 12 or 15, yeah, 15 uh, teachers. And so what I appreciate is the fact that they risk their jobs on their mission field to take Christ in some way, shape, or form to their classes and, and those around them. And so I hope you'll lift them up in prayer, seriously, on a consistent basis. I like to hear from Sean weekly and, and, and often weekly every few weeks on how his Bible study is going. And I just appreciate uh, the work that he's doing and others are doing. Um, to make a difference uh, uh, in, in the schools. And we live in a community where it's definitely not as frowned on as some places. My brother lives out in Washington State, and it's, a, you know, talk about a, a tough place to teach. He's a police officer, a tough place to, to live. And, and so we just need to pray that uh, we will be the salt and light God has called us to be, right? And, and take it and sometimes risk uh, our jobs, our lives, everything for the sake of the gospel. That's what he's called us to do. We're talking about sanctification, and that's about living for the sake of the gospel. In, in fact, sanctification, it's a big word for the little-by-little little progress that we make to become more like Christ, to know Him, become more like Him. And that's what we've been talking about over the last uh, two weeks. It's our third, or sec, uh, three weeks, this is our third week, and we'll have two other, other weeks talking about sanctification. And, and I hope this is very personal because we all are on a journey toward this. It's not a I'm saved, but I don't really want the, you know, the hardcore discipleship stuff. I'm just pretty comfortable with my salvation. As I read the New Testament, I've been reading and doing a Bible study with a couple guys I'm in Fight Club with over First and Second Timothy, because that's where we're going next in our, in our study. After we're done with this, we'll launch into First and Second Timothy. And I'm uh, going ahead and doing a study with these guys and reading ahead. And it's numerous verses in the New Testament where you find that, that sanctification, justification go hand in hand. For 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. So he saved us and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose, his own grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So not only did he give you salvation, and what we looked about a few weeks ago, that oftentimes sanctification in Scripture refers to who God sees us as, as a believer now, he can call the Corinthian saints saints, and they didn't act like saints at all, but he called them saints because that's who they were in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and so they were saints, but he's saying progressive sanctification, what we're talking about is now be who you are. 
live out this. And the same grace that brought us salvation is the same grace that propels us to live out the Christian life. And so today, as we go back into the Word, we're going to just continue on this discussion. But before we do, let's pray and just ask God to allow the Holy Spirit just to change us today. Father God, I thank you for each person who's come out here today. God, I know there, there are many who uh, fall into the at-risk category, that they see that the virus that's around us, God, can really do harm. And, and, and God, we pray for those who are watching online. Thank you for their faithfulness of just being uh, here each Sunday, even though they're not in person, God. And I pray that you'll just continue to help those who are recovering, those who are struggling right now. God, we pray that you will just restore them to health, God. And I pray that you will just help us each during this time. We have a special opportunity to really share about our hope because of how dark the world is and how difficult things are for Christians, God. And we thank you for this opportunity to let our light shine before men so they can see our good works and glorify you. And God, I pray for um, our public school teachers. I pray for our Christian school teachers. I pray for all those who are homeschooling, God, that we will raise up a next generation who loves you and they don't forget about you, but God, they will continue on um, what we um, are about, which is passing on our faith to the next generation, helping see people mature and grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so we're talking about progressive salvation, growing a little by little, more and more like Christ. And I came across this quote by Sinclair Ferguson in a book that I'm reading, and it says, Justification and sanctification are both ours through faith in Christ. It is therefore not possible to be justified, meaning God declaring you righteous and holy, without being sanctified and growing in holiness. And so growing in holiness is similar. It's, it's really simultaneous. It's synonymous. That's the word I'm looking for, for sanctification, progressive sanctification. Growing in holiness. And holiness can be a, an intimidating word for many people. Holy, you know, that's reserved for, you know, people who once they get to a certain age, you know, and they walk around, they're all pious. But that's not what holiness is in Scripture. Holiness is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's a process that we're all on. It's that slope, that, that thing we saw where there's some ups and downs. But the trajectory of our life is more and more toward Jesus Christ. So I've asked you several times in the series, think about your life, okay? Look at your life. Is the trajectory of your life growing more and more like Jesus? Yeah, if you look at last week or the week before or last night, you may think, not doing so well. But what about the last five years? You look back and you see, here's where I was. And this is not just about, hey, I'm, I'm more active at church now. That's not what we're talking about. Obviously, that's a part of it. You want to be a part of the body of Christ. We'll talk about that next week. But I'm becoming more like Christ through the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And so as we are in Christ longer, we should be more and more like him. And so I encourage you, and next week I'm going to encourage you really hard about being in accountable relationships because that's such a part of it. But today we're going to look at, continue to look at being in the Word and hearing God's voice and God listening to us in our prayers. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a screwdriver for a second, all right? James, if I gave you this screwdriver today right during church, how beneficial would it be for you during this church service? Wouldn't be at all? Why? Nothing to use it on. He says, nothing to use it on, all right? There's no purpose in it while I'm sitting here in this church service. But what if you were locked in a box, locked in a box, sitting in the hot sun in the middle of a field during one of these August days, 
and inside there were screws that would open the box. Would somebody giving you a screwdriver make a difference there? It would. Why? Get out, right. It would be necessary. And see, my concern is, for many of you, these talks about sanctification may just be like having a screwdriver here during church service. Oh, yeah, it's nice. It looks new. You know, it's helpful sometimes. But it's really not life-saving. It's not what you're about. It's not, if I don't have this, then life has no meaning or purpose. If I don't have this, then I have no life. Because as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, if you're truly in Christ, He's placed you on a path to sanctification. And so you should want that. It should be the desire of your heart. Now, as we've, we've talked about over and over again in this series, none of us have arrived, right? We're all a bit of a mess, maybe more of a mess than we care to admit when we look at our lives. Well, you're in good company if you know that you're a bit of a mess. In fact, that's a great place to be. Everybody knows the song Amazing Grace. A quote by a guy named John Newton who wrote the song Amazing Grace said this. He said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. And I am not what I wish to be. And I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you feel that in your soul today, you're in a good spot when it comes to sanctification. Thank you, God, for where I'm at. But God, I'm not where I need to be. There should be this holy discontent about your sanctification. It's not a, woe is me, I'm terrible, I'm awful, why can't I get more like Christ? But it's a joyous delight of pursuit to be more and more like Christ in your life. As you see the fruit of the Spirit coming out in your life, you celebrate those things. And then you, as we talked about the last few weeks, you put yourself in the path of grace, where grace flows so you can grow to be more and more like Christ. And we said these are th kind of a three big categories of means of grace, or maybe you've heard them called spiritual disciplines. And, and we looked at last week the voice of God, God's voice, today God's ear, and next week God's body. Three big categories of the way where God's grace flows. And so when we looked at God's voice last week, we talked about that God speaks. God speaks. We sang it. God speaks. God speaks through Jesus Christ. God spoke through the prophets, times of old. Today, he's spoken in Jesus Christ. He's the most complete self-revelation of God because he is God. It's the complete self-revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the gospel, we're really talking about Jesus, right? The gospel and Jesus. The same, because without Jesus, there is no gospel. Jesus is the gospel. He's the good news. And so we're Jesus-centered in our preaching. We're Jesus-centered in all that we say, in our teaching, because Jesus is the way that God speaks and the way that God gives us life, the reason we're even on a path to sanctification. And then we talked last week about preaching that gospel to yourself throughout the day. Uh, not just, I got the gospel, I know it, I can recite it, but it's, Preaching that to yourself constantly, that I need you, Jesus. I haven't arrived. If not for the grace of God, there am I. It's, it's the parable Jesus gave about the self-righteous guy standing over praying, and, and he looked over at the center, and he's like, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. And that guy over here was beating his chest and not even looking up, and woe is me. 
woe is me. It's this understanding that I still need Jesus. I haven't graduated past Jesus once I'm saved. I need him, and I preach that gospel to myself all day, every day. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Let that word of Christ just be part of who you are every single moment of every single day. And then we also looked at God speaking through his word. So if you want to be in the path of grace, you've got to be in his word, okay? If you want to grow to become more like Jesus, you can sit here and look at your, the trajectory and go, wow, that's a, you know, it's pretty steep uphill. And, and, but if you're not making any effort to be in the word and hear from God, chances are that you're going to continue to struggle and not make progress. You're going to continue to look at and say, wow, you know, three years ago, still the same place I am now. And there's lots of good intentions, like, I want to be in the Word. You know, I know I need to be in the Word. But if you're not hearing from God through His Word, then you're not going to grow in sanctification. You're not going to grow to be more like Him. So you have to be in the Word. And we live in a time of day where it's the best it's ever been. You can have your Bible, your phone, or, um, you can just play the audio, listen to the Scripture being read if you're not a big reader. Uh, you can drive on your commute to work. You can listen to the Word. You can hear it. You can hear preaching. There's so many opportunities to be in the Word. And then there's Bible studies, Bible memory, meditating on Scripture, applying the Scripture. Don't just be hearers, but be doers of the Word. And so we need to be in that path of grace. Now, somebody may think, well, what about the Holy Spirit? I thought He was a big player in my sanctification. And we aren't talking about Him in this series that much. Let me, let me show you a picture for a second, all right? Look at this picture of the Washington Monument. Did you know in that picture of the Washington Monument that there are literally, literally, thousands of dollars of, what's the word I'm looking for? Anybody want to take a guess? What? Thousands of dollars worth of what? So you probably don't even know what I'm talking about, right? Of lights. Lights. Did somebody say it? All right, somebody got it, good. Thousands of dollars, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of lights shining on that monument to light it up. But if the lights are working properly... You don't make a big deal about the lights because the lights are there to magnify the Washington Monument. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. I've said that in the series already. The Holy Spirit works to shine the light on Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is critical. His work is critical in illumination of His Word and, and showing us and speaking to us through His Word and helping us when we pray. But ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. And so it's all about Jesus. And so the passion of the Holy Spirit is to focus our attention on Jesus. So the more the Holy Spirit reveals to us, the bigger deal we make of Jesus. And when you find Jesus' name rolling off your tongue really easy, and you're not ashamed to say Jesus' name, it's a good thing, right? The Holy Spirit is working. I've been around people who are ashamed to say the name of Jesus. They'll say God all day long, but they won't say Jesus. It's awkward for them. It sounds like, you know, Jesus loves me, you know, a little kid or something. I don't want to say that. It's weird. And so they're okay with God, but not Jesus. There's a problem. You know, we should be very comfortable. Jesus is our everything. That's what the light is shining on. And that's what our lives should be shining on, making a big deal about him. So God speaks. God speaks. But also God has an ear and God listens. And so we want to hear God speak and we want to listen to God's voice. And we want to talk to God and get God's ear and both of these are about, what I'm going to use a word that may be a little bit intimidating, but they're about intimacy. They're about relationship. Intimacy, we know what intimacy is. It's an experience 
of really knowing someone, really having another person just a love for them. And hopefully you have that with someone in this world, right? You know somebody and they know you. And what's weird is you can be sitting next to somebody right now and be right next to them inches away and not have an intimate relationship with them, but you can have an intimate relationship with somebody who's 4,000 miles away. Because we know that it's not necessarily about the proximity, it's about the relationship. And it's not just about knowledge, and it's not just about environment or feelings that we get. It's not about just singing a few songs and feeling good and raising our hands. It's, It's about knowing Jesus Christ and having a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you want to grow then hearing God's voice, having God's ear, is about intimacy. It's about a relationship which is built on trust and believing God, that that Jesus is for you, that God is for you because of Jesus, and that you glorify God in your life. And so I want to pick up where we left off last week in Revelation chapter 3. At the very end of the sermon last week, we touched on this, but I want to go back and really just comb through this passage to talk about this intimate relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And so, as you're turning there, Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14. It's in the app, too, if you want to follow along there. All the scriptures there, as well as the notes. And so, the church of Laodicea is a church that John on the Isle of Patmos was writing to, and the word of Jesus was being given to John as he wrote the scripture. So, these are the words of Christ through the Apostle John. And these are a little, literal seven churches, seven actual churches that John is writing to, but they are indicative, they're a picture of the universal church, and we can relate to the, the majority, if not all, the problems that these seven churches went through in the first century. And so look at verse 14. He starts off, he says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Now let's pause there for a second. Because that may seem weird, it's like an angel, like why is he writing to an angel? Well, an angel means messenger, so a lot of people speculate that he's referring to either the pastor and elder of the church, or the envoy who's actually delivering these letters to the church, who came to John to get the letter and now delivering it back. Uh, It's definitely a little cryptic, don't know for sure the answer to that, but it seems like the most plausible answer there. So verse 14, he writes to the angel of the church of Laodicea, And he says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, he writes to him, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so think about that for a second. He's saying, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're some middle ground area here. And it makes me want to puke, just makes me want to throw up. What's he talking about there? Some people would say that maybe what he's saying about cold and hot, that cold water is valuable, hot water is valuable, but this middle ground lukewarm has no purpose. And, and there's good qualities in cold and there's good qualities in hot. And I probably have preached that before. That's, that seems like maybe a possibility. But I think the more I've studied this out and thought about really what John's trying to get across in the words of Jesus here, I think that cold and hot refer to um, don't refer to both to great good things. I think what he's saying is, I'd rather you that are cold, who are distant, who are hard-hearted, I'd rather you just be who you are, all right? Just be who you are. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. You're, you know, don't try to come in the church and be like, I, I'm, I fit in here, I know the right things to say, 
He said, you're, just, you're actually just lukewarm. He said, you're, you're faking it. Be cold. Just be cold because it's better just to know where you stand. And, and just on a practical basis in the church life, in, the, in our church community, that's, I understand where he's coming from because so many people who are never in the Word, who never really pray, don't see God's face, they come and they try to have influence in the local church, but yet they're far from God. Their hearts are cold. And that's why we look around and see people blowing, churches blowing up all over the place, and we hear about that happening. You know, so-and-so, they wanted like a certain color of car- carpet in the church, and you know, the church wouldn't, the other people didn't want to go for it, and there's this big blow-up and big stink, and all of a sudden the church is split over that. And we've heard those stories that really exist because it's all about power and control versus what God wants us to be about, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him lifted up. And so we make this stuff about a lot of other things. And John's saying through the, the words of Jesus, Jesus says, I'd rather you just be who you are. Just be cold. Just be indifferent. Let everybody know who you are. Get out of the church. Be cold or be hot. And that refers to those who are devoted and growing in their sanctification. They care. And so I think he's saying, I'd rather you just be who you really are. If you're an outsider, be an outsider. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a fake. Don't be terminally carnal. And so what I think here, these people are having this form of godliness, but they're denying any real relationship with Jesus, denying the power. And so to put, look at, in, in light of that, look at verse 17. He says, these people are so misled. They say, for you say, I am rich. He's talking to the lukewarm now. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I have need, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so these people, they, they thought they had it all. In reality, you're going to see they have none of this. That they're totally, totally self-satisfied. And, and that's what a lukewarm person is. A person that's in the church community, this part of the church body, maybe even a church member, or even it could be a church leader, that's self-satisfied. They don't really want Jesus. Sanctification really isn't that interesting to them. They love the world. They don't understand even what having an intimate relationship with Jesus is all about. And they have no desperation. They don't understand that I need Jesus. I need more of Jesus. They think I got enough Jesus because I got my ticket to heaven. That's what I care about. And I'm going to heaven after I die. And so I don't really care about growing in him. I don't care about being holy because of the, what the Laodicea is, their very thing. They love the world. They love their prosperity. They love their comfort. They love their success. And they were just enamored with that. And Jesus says to them, no, you're not any of those things. You're exactly the opposite of those things. Look what he says. He says, you're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind. And you're spiritually naked. How can somebody be so wrong in their self-assessment to think, we're rich, we're prosperous, we got it all together, and Jesus says, uh, no, it's just the absolute opposite 180 of that. You're poor, you're broken, you're sick. And you know what? It makes me sick. Your hypocrisy makes me sick. I just want to spit you right out of my mouth, Jesus says. Lukewarm. Lukewarm, happy, content with just being mediocre, being satisfied, being a little bit religious, and they're fine, part of the church community. But look what he does. Look what Jesus says in response to this. Here's what they were to do. 
He says, I counsel you to buy from me. That's interesting, right? To buy from me, because he just said, you don't have anything, you're broke. Buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And so what is he saying? He's saying, admit your spiritual condition. Admit that you're really broke and buy from me which is not a transaction that we bring anything to the table. This is all talking about the righteousness of Jesus. White garments, clothed in him. And you, he will give you those things in his grace. So he's saying, wake up, church member. Wake up those who have no really desire to grow in Christ. That you check church off your list, and you go about your week, and you do your thing. He's saying, you need the righteousness of Christ. You're, you don't know him. You need the righteousness of Christ. And only God's grace allows you to come and buy those things. Because you got nothing else. You have nothing to bring to the table. You're poor. You're broke. And look what he says next. He says, you purchase these items with repentance. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Again, which is only made possible by the grace of God. That the faith that you have is a gift of God. It's all been given to you. And you see, as long as we are like the church of Laodicea, and I think the church of Laodicea is best describes the church in the West, particularly during these days, is we got it all. And we just need some Jesus to feel better about ourselves but the reality is we don't really need him. We're not desperate for him. We don't think, without you, Jesus, I got no life. I'm dead. And you see, there's this humility that comes when we preach the gospel to ourselves. That when we're tempted to just blend in with those who are around and not really stand for Jesus, it's an indicator of our heart. It's an indicator that maybe we don't love Jesus as much as we say that we love him. We can speak this sanctification stuff by the mile, but you know what? When reality comes, we're not living it at all. We have no heart's desire for Jesus. And look what he says. This is where I wanted to get to in this. Number three, what's, what's he say in response? What's the third thing? Open the door and experience intimacy with Jesus. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Which, pause there for a second. Isn't it interesting that the very church of Jesus Christ and Jesus is outside the church looking in. He's knocking on the church. Let me in. It's his church. And they pushed him out. And that's so true for many churches today. Many churches today that have nothing about Jesus. Jesus has pushed away uh, any kind of conviction of sin or preaching against sin is pushed away. And the gospel becomes something that's a very feel-good, seeker-friendly kind of message that's given that really has no heart of the gospel at, it, at its basis. Jesus has to be the center of it all. Jesus has to be the center. If our church ever stops preaching Jesus, maybe we just close our door because there's no reason to be here because it's all about Jesus. Continue on. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, if anyone, he's addressing the church, but he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So he's inviting these individuals who are lukewarm, these, these individuals who are hypocrites, he's saying, humble yourself. Open the door. Allow me to come in. And what he says, 
instead of spitting you out of my mouth, I want to sit down and have a meal with you. I love that picture. I love that. Look, come in and I'm going to eat with you. I mean, it's an intimate kind of picture that we have there. And I don't know about you, but if you've, if you've ever noticed this, it's pretty cool in the Gospels, especially the book of Luke. How many times Jesus was eating or going to a meal or coming from a meal? Jesus loved to sit down with people and have meals because he loved food. Well, maybe, but right. But, but it was about the relationships. It was about having that intimacy, sitting with the table and talking and just having that fellowship with others. And he says, that's what I want with those who really don't care anything about sanctification. I would much rather come in and sit down with you and have a meal. I don't want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to know you and you to know me and you have an intimate relationship with me. And, and, and this picture, again, of the family meal, some of my fondest times growing up and some of my fondest times with my family today are around the dinner table. Maybe, hopefully, you had that experience as well. Maybe you had a, a really tight-knit family. Maybe you don't have that experience, but maybe you did or maybe you do where the family meal table, around the family table at mealtime was just a sweet time of fellowship and of sharing and everybody talked a lot more there than they did other places. And, and so this is what he's, he's given us. He's saying, Sit down with me. Communicate with me. Know me. I'll speak to you. You speak to me. You have my ear. I'm going to give you my voice. And communicate and love one another the way that he's created us to do. And that's foreign for many of you possibly. And, and some of you are just scratching your head thinking, I just don't understand what does it mean to have really fellowship with a God I can't see. Well, I encourage you. I mean, this is very tangible. Two weeks of daily spending time in, in the Word. And have, set it at a time when you can really, really slow down, be still, find some quiet, where there's not a lot of distraction. And say, you can just tell God, God, I, I hear these messages, I've seen your Word, that you want to have this meal with me, that you want just to have fellowship with me. And I struggle with that, God. I, I need you to still my heart, quiet my heart, and show me what it means to have a relationship with you, Jesus. And open the word and slowly begin to read and pray and say, God, speak to me through your word. Speak to me through Jesus. Point me to Jesus. And do that for two weeks in a row. And I promise you that if you truly, truly still yourself before God and ask the Holy Spirit to just change your heart and make you more in love with Jesus, that if you're truly his child, you can't help but to be drawn to your heavenly father. You can't help but just to, to, to love to spend time with him and be in his presence. And some days will be better than others. Ask somebody who's been in the word for years and years. They'll tell you. They have, they have days where you know, they just feel like they're talking to the wall and they feel like they're not getting anything. But that's not the, that's not the trajectory. That's not the trajectory of their days. Their days may be struggle, but the months and the years are wonderful times of fellowship. And so build habits, build routines to, to put you in a position to, to be in the paths of grace for God to work and share his voice and to have God's ear. Paul Miller says this, he says, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying, not on God. Many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're so focused on, I got to say the right words, you know, I got to make sure, you know, I put the phrases together. I don't, you know, I hear Chip pray and I, you know, I just can't pray like that. You know, I can't, I can't do that. 
And, and, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about focusing on the person we're talking to. When you're talking to your kid, you don't say, okay, I've got to make sure you know, I, I just say this exactly right so you know, it, it sounds good and they're impressed by my words. No, we think, what's the best way I can communicate with this child? Because I care about them. I'm not going to let the, the communication be the focus. I want the child to be the focus. And so I can communicate my heart to them. And that's the same thing prayer is. It's, it's talking to God from your heart. And I think we make way too big a deal on like methods of praying and techniques of praying. And, 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 and it's so simple. We just need to focus in on it's simply about talking to Jesus, being in the presence of God and knowing him and sharing our heart with him. So it's not complex words to impress him. It's meeting with our Father who loves us. And most of the time, the biggest killer, plain and simple, and you know this, is your unwillingness to be still before God. And you're thinking maybe, you know, I still have the time. You know, you know you're a pastor. You probably have all the time in the world to do that. That's, that's not my life. Well, you know what? Time shows priorities. You have time to do what you want to do, plain and simple. And so if it's the attitude that says, I'm desperate, I'm desperate here. I got to have that. My life depends on it. You'll find the time to be still. Or at least the time to be in the Word. Maybe some kids will be screaming and yelling, but you're still going to spend time with God. But if this is like, you know, this could come in handy one day, but right now, it's no use. Then it's not going to be a priority, and you're not going to make time. You're not going to focus in on it. You're not going to change up your schedule. But it's just no, it's a heart issue. It's not a time issue. And then grace flows from God and His Word. As you prioritize it, He'll bring satisfaction to your soul. So prayer, it's not just getting more stuff from God. It's not a list of things to make you more prosperous. In fact, Jesus calls out the prosperity and and the, the, the casual attitudes they had about their lives and how comfortable they were. It's not about getting more from God. Do we really need more from God? Do we need more blessing from God? We need to turn that around and say, bless you, God. I'm going to bless you with my life today. Not, God, bless me more. God, let me bless you more. And we enjoy God. We experience Him. And we pray real prayers. So head, application, head, knowing God results in intimacy with God. If you truly know God, you'll desire intimacy with God. You'll open the door by faith, you'll receive His grace, and you'll fellowship with Him. And then your heart. God's mercies are new every morning. God's mercies are new every day for you. He wants to give you everything you need to live a life of godliness and holiness. His word says He will. Second Peter 1, read it today. He's given you everything you need for a life in godliness. He's given you the screwdriver. He's locked you in and said, I'm giving you something you can't do. He's given you everything you need. But you know what? You got to do some effort. You got to turn the screws. You got to set your schedule. You got to set your priorities. You got to make it happen. And you're sitting there with the screwdriver, like, I can't get out. He's saying, I've given you what you need. New morning mercies every day. And then hands. Some of you need this to slow down your heart, to slow down your mind. Consider writing out your prayers to God. If you have a hard time focusing, write out the prayers in a journal or in the car. Pray them out loud as you're driving. Pray out loud. 
But pray, right? Pray. You have God's ear. There are a lot of people going to church today or watching churches today that are lukewarm. And God says, I want to know you. I don't want you to just have a religion. I don't want you to just check it off and get another badge. You know, we used to get these long badges in church where every year you get a new badge and they hang down together and like people would walk into church once a year and have these long badges like, oh, look at me. I haven't missed a day in years. Meanest people I knew. It's not about that. It's about knowing God and making him known. Let's do it. Are you gonna, God's given it to you. Are you going to make it happen this week? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you will help us to sit at the middle table with you. Help us to focus in on you and pray true heartfelt prayers that pour out our hearts, that point us to you, point our lives to being salt and light to this world. For those who are in situations that it's really, really tough to share the gospel, it's really tough to live for you, or maybe the people they're surrounding themselves with, it's horrible influences, God. I pray that you'll help them to either get out of that situation, get out away from those friendships that are bringing them down, or help them to receive your strength to be the light in that dark place that you called them to be. God, I pray that you will work through our church. God, may you never be on the outside looking in. May we be much about Jesus, everything about Jesus, and everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.